Hello, I am C-3PO, and I believe the storyteller is ready. So, let us begin. Your powers are weak, old man. You can't win, Darth. If you strike me down, I shall become more powerful than you can possibly imagine. This week, the story is about where the story ends for many, many characters, and where others, in fact, become more powerful than you can possibly imagine. Uh, where there is war, and there is war in Star Wars, there is, of course, death. And when that's a war that spans many, many generations, uh, a lot of death is going to occur. So this week, we're counting down our top six favorite deaths in all of Star Wars. And obviously, that's a, a broadly interpretable topic. Does it mean deaths that you were happiest to finally see, the ones that meant the most to you emotionally, or just the ones that were executed best, so to speak? Uh, doesn't really matter. Choose however you like. Almost every character in Star Wars has has some kind of canonical death, so there's lots from which to choose. Ross, uh, you came up with this theme on your own. What brought you this idea? I'm not sure what specifically brought me this idea. Um, the first character I thought of uh, did make my list. Uh, they didn't necessarily make it in like a crazy high position. Uh, I was just kind of, I think, going through different, uh, I had made a list of about 14 different potential topics we could do one of these sort of shows on. Uh, and I guess some one thing led to a, like another on, on my thought process between each. It wasn't the first one I came up with. Um, but yeah, number five on my list was kind of, I guess I was thinking about that specific moment, that death. And then I was like, oh, okay, well, that's what would, would work. Um, and there's, because there are so many, and actually I think immediately after, um, like my mind went to easily three others in my top. So, I mean, like there were some that were instants, um, and, uh, some that I had to think maybe a little bit harder about, um, or some that we just didn't have to think harder about just as I kind of went through, we're like, oh, of course this is like easily like cemented in like a high position. Something that struck me when I was coming up with deaths is that if, if I'm purely looking at these selections from uh, an aesthetic standpoint, like what it looked like as a piece of cinema in a moment, some of my favorite uh, movie fan deaths are such inconsequential characters like, I, for example, like the throne room scene in The Last Jedi, there are like some some guards that go down in like all time tremendous fashion yeah. uh, at the hands of of some heroes and anti-heroes. And, and so but those are, yeah, Sorry. they're not characters. And so that's kind of the, the distinction that I had to draw. I'm not going to donate one of my six slots to the guy who gets a lightsaber through the face, but no, it's a cool me moment. Yeah, but I don't see that as a cool death. I see that as a cool kill. Yeah. Oh, it's interesting. So that, that's a clean yeah. differentiator for me. None of mine, um, well, I shouldn't say none of mine, but in a certain way, um, the character mattered for 100%. Like, the character themselves was necessary to my decision making, whether or not it was for any of the reasons you did say, uh, kind of like you, you highlighted all those reasons. I kind of amalgamated those in my decision making for everything. So I did take all those things into account. And then there were some where if you like, it, it was purely just from a cinematic perspective, there were some that were um, better than others, but that each carried their own kind of weight. And so then it was just a matter of kind of assembling um, what stood out and what really mattered more to me. And then it comes down to just how you view Star Wars, which is how we always interpret these lists. Right, but this is cool because we're already showing a difference of thinking. I didn't consider 
the difference between favorite death and favorite kill. And in many cases, it's very obvious which uh, line of thinking I was in, and it and it kind of goes back and forth along my list. But some of them okay. are are frankly chosen, uh, not because the character was inconsequential and the kill is all that mattered, but frankly, the moment is brought better because of the the suaveness of the kill or or whatever. And so okay. it certainly was a factor in my choosing. There was one that kept rushing through my mind, and I never put it on my list because it was exactly the way you're describing. Okay. Which is really interesting because there's, and I'll, I'll, I'll mention it later on, or I'll mention it if you indeed bring it up. Because I was like, no, I don't necessarily like see that as like a great death for that character, but I definitely see that as as an like amazing kill yeah. for the other character and an amazing moment. So thus, an amazing death on screen, and thus meeting the criteria in a, a way in which you interpreted it, which is always the way I like it. I like it when we interpret things just ever so slightly differently. I always think that makes the lists just a little bit more interesting. That's right. So uh, why don't you kick it off with your sixth favorite death in all of Star Wars? Yes, this is one that I anticipate you will also have on your list, and it was also hinted at in kind of your early one. Uh, and it is with Oda Do, uh, the first, uh, well, I shouldn't say the first big death of consequence, uh, but probably the one that we feel the most and certainly um, as an audience. And that would be uh, becoming more powerful than you could possibly imagine. And uh, Obi-Wan uh, dying and falling down and Vader stepping on that, the empty cloak uh, and immediately becoming a voice in Luke's head. Uh, and then the transition that that has uh, from A New Hope to Empire Strikes Back and how he continues to just be a voice. And then he's a vision, but like Luke is... Like, uh, like on death's doorstep. So is he just seeing things? But then he continues to be a voice to Yoda and Yoda's communicating with him. And then in Return of the Jedi, he comes back in full force as a force ghost. And then he's in the sky at the end of Return of the Jedi. And so it, it's really interesting in that regard, the way that like this is the that first uh, death, but the character Obi-Wan continues, like we learn more about Obi-Wan and continue to like Obi-Wan more beyond his death, that's when the character becomes even more interesting. He's the hermit Ben Kenobi, but Obi-Wan Kenobi, we get to know Obi-Wan after he dies um, because he dies in the first time we meet him. And so it's, of course, an, an awesome death. It is, and you know what? It's not on my list. Really? It, okay. I'm, I'm really, really glad then that we, I was able to, to that one of us had it on our list because uh, I did uh, have a lot of respect to my number seven, uh, but I really felt that, no, it was the right decision to put to put this one where it was because, uh, yeah, just the, what it means to Vader and how Vader doesn't get the benefit of like a, a clean death the way he wants. This is not the way Jedi have died in the past. Right. Uh, and although that's not what George Lucas necessarily has envisioned in that same way at this specific time. He hasn't built the lore of a force ghost yet, but uh, it's still really important the way that Obi-Wan is elevated. Uh, his death is, it, it matters on a different level uh, because it has such impact on Luke, but then it's also, he, he doesn't really die. Is that true, by the way, Anakin slash Vader has never seen uh, or heard tell of a, of a Jedi dying in this kind of transcendent way as Obi-Wan does? Well, nobody has uh, in this capacity. Uh, nobody has become one with the Force prior to this point, except for Qui-Gon. Um, and then there is some debate with Rise of Skywalker that now we don't really know how that works. And maybe Rey reaching out. Uh, who knows what that has to, like, we just have no sweet clue what, what that means yet. Or maybe it's becoming revealed in in, in canon in, in these coming mediums. Who knows? But that's like the Qui-Gon communing with Obi-Wan um, 
that is the first time it occurs, but Anakin doesn't know of that. Yeah. So yeah. this, and, and things occur on Mortis as well, but also none of the people who travel to Mortis remember th the events of Mortis. And so, yeah, he, that's why he's kind of stepping down. He doesn't know what the hell happened. Well, here's what kept him off my list. The Alec Guinness version of Obi-Wan Kenobi is, is very important to me purely from a nostalgic standpoint. He mm -hmm. is probably, and maybe I've said something that contradicts this in the past because I like other people too, but he's probably my original favorite Star Wars character, the Alec Guinness Obi-Wan Kenobi. I've always, he was. I've always been partial to the grandfatherly wizard you know big Gandalf fan big Dumbledore fan and so big uh Alec Guinness Obi-Wan fan as well but as a kid and I feel like all of my stories about when I first watched Star Wars I come off as real dumb and I, I maybe I was we all do as a kid though I, I think, first watch it but I did there's so much stuff I didn't understand and when he has this like really kind of theoretical out there nebulous death I'm not even sure I was able to connect the dots in that he died the same way Mufasa dies you know he it, and for two things, I guess, because he turns into vapor and then he's not there anymore. And I'm like, well, they called him a, a wizard. We know the force is magic. Maybe he just kind of teleported. And Mufasa disappears. Sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you. No, this is what I'm saying is that it's oh. it's decidedly different from that organic. There's a body afterward death. And that's like the other movie where I've seen someone die at this point in my life. OK, gotcha. Um, and, and then the other thing is, is literally what he says about how if you strike me down, I'll become more powerful than you can possibly imagine. And so right there, I'm like, OK, well, that means as soon as that uh, lightsaber touches him, he's not dead. He's stronger. And so it took a long time, I suspect, although I don't know when this understanding happened, for me to like have a more nuanced understanding of what death means to these characters in this universe. And so I was never emotional about the death of Obi-Wan Kenobi because it was so easy to stomach because I was like, all right, he's not dead. Yeah, no, I 100% agree with you in that capacity because I, I only remember... Like, I remember knowing Star Wars and having watched the original trilogy before seeing The Phantom Menace. I have memories of watching the original trilogy uh, in our basement of our first house, which we, I, we moved out of uh, when I was freshly four years old. <laughs> uh, I don't remember having seen any of the movies individually. I remember having seen the three movies. Yeah. And so, like you said, you, you don't remember, like, the surprise of I am your father. Mm -hmm. You don't remember, like... Like, I, you know, Obi-Wan dies, but I don't remember a time having like, I don't remember like the maybe, I don't know, hour or a couple days or whatever it was between watching A New Hope the first time and Empire Strikes Back and being like, well, what happened to him? I don't remember that at all. Um, but to me, it doesn't really matter because that death, it, it, it's less about Obi-Wan and more about Luke. Yes. And um, then later on, we learn it's more about Anakin and uh, in the prequels, their relationship, but Obi Wan, Obi Wan is, is is there for the greater story, and uh, he's he's that wizardly sage, but he's there to to help other people, to be a guide for them, and help them on their journeys. And so I I feel like it really it really works, and that it's so powerful that in the end you think yes, his journey's there for Luke, and then the prequels, his journey's there for Anakin, but this death bookends that in both ways because you get to after you see the prequels oh it has a new meaning when vader doesn't understand the death and how like after all this time he's wanted revenge and then obi-wan says right before he kills him i'll become more powerful than you can possibly imagine not something that happened when anakin slaughtered all the other jedi on order 66 and they all just fell over like corpses yeah obi-wan dis a fucking peers and 
it's exactly as he's predicted. He, he tells Vader, like, this is not going to go as you think, just as he says, Anakin, don't try it. Yep. That's right. And like it's so it's it's such a powerful moment after you see the prequels. Whereas and then you view the original trilogy, it's the light of him being this this guide for Luke. And so uh, I I just love it. No, I mean, we like you said, I mean, Obi-Wan, I I personally, if you're making me uh rank characters, I prefer the Ewan McGregor Obi-Wan to the Alex Sure Anderson now, Obi-Wan. yeah. Yeah, but it's just like I did also as a little kid, I wasn't necessarily drawn to Obi-Wan the same way I was drawn to Yoda and R2 uh, and Han and Vader. But like I it, it, it's something that in, in retrospect, I, I think that it's such an important death and uh, I'm glad it was able to, to make my list in the sixth spot. Um, but uh, unless you've got anything else to say on that, what would be your number six? Well, uh, let me just ask: yeah, is sure. there is there anything more in the Vader life that that suggests that he's questioning his victory over Obi Wan in A New Hope? Like, like if he has kind of had his thunder stolen when Obi Wan says this final taunt before dying, is he ever like skeptical about whether or not he did in fact defeat Obi Wan? Uh, I'll be frank. I don't know. Yeah. It might be in the comics. Uh, there are some comics that take place between the movies um, uh, in the original trilogy. Uh, and that is likely something that has been touched on, but is something that I, I think we're just supposed to gather a little bit more weight that, and we'll certainly have a lot more weight to it after watching the Obi-Wan TV show. Um, but if if it's been addressed, it has been addressed in the comics. And if it will be addressed, it will be addressed in the comics. So my number six is, uh, at least in terms of release date, in completely the opposite direction from where you started and not at all dealing with such a high-ranking character. And this is just where I am right now in the season of my life, but I think my number sixth favorite death in Star Wars is the death of Valen Hess when he's shot in the chest by Miggs Mayfield, chapter 15 of The Mandalorian. And I know we just wrapped like a long series of, of podcasts discussing Mando season two. I think it was an absolute highlight uh, for the greater saga. Like, I think it fits in Absolutely. with the best of the best uh, because of all of it entails, traditionally and classically speaking, we've got uh, a sniveling, detestable villain in this moment from the Empire. We've got an impassioned anti-hero. Uh, something that you, you kind of forget to include sometimes in Star Wars storytelling is allegorical commentary on the evils of war and militaristic uh, institution mm-hmm. and how it can really fuck people up. There's comedy in this scene. Uh, because of Bill Burr, obviously. And then there's this kind of satisfaction that actually makes you like leap up and, and cheer when somebody actually gets gunned down. It's almost richer that these characters are so low uh, a rung on the Star Wars ladder because then the tension in the moment just kind of speaks for itself. And I got to thinking about the backstory of this moment which is just hinted upon. And I don't know if that comes in the form of a film or a TV series or just a comic book, but like there's a young Mayfeld uh, like tragic war story that frankly, Valen Hess is also on the other side of They don't have personal history, but they're part of the same history in, mm-hmm. in the saga of far, far away. And I, I just love that it in, incites this, this craziness, but this is an example of, of a cool kill. Not so much yeah. that I cared about the the guy who died. Yeah, the, and never in a million years would this have made my list because I never would. I didn't view the task that way. Yeah. But I love that it's on here because of everything that you just said. I thought it was one of the absolute. I, it, 
it made my list last week. Yeah. And that was the highlights of Mando season two. And it's because it was bonkers good. Uh, it was just, it's a powerful scene. Uh, I think Pedro does like, he holds his own on the, the comedic acting just with one look. <laughs> totally. <laughs> or a, and a couple, actually a couple looks. Uh, but you're right. That scene, it's, uh, there's power in uh, Mayfeld not wanting to like deal with this shit anymore and just like uh, being like, okay, I'm done with this. Uh, and then it's even doubled down when he takes the cyclo rifle and blows up the Rhydonium. Yeah. And it's just like, good luck, guys. <laughs> I mean, I'm not, I, I delivered it and now I'm taking it back. Well, uh, because suddenly, I know what I've done is wrong. Suddenly, Mayfeld became this really multi dimensional character who has this very relatable history for a lot of real life people. And, and like I said, sometimes Star Wars. Uh, and this is fine because it's escapist entertainment, but sometimes it neglects to acknowledge that like for all the fantasy of it, it's pretty realistic and that like this is traumatic for this is a traumatic lifestyle for a lot of people like Mayfeld. And it's war. Exactly. And so and so that he was uh, kind of set off in this way that he like had a bit of a fit of passion uh, and somebody who was being insensitive to his to his experience his trauma uh, had to pay for it is actually like a pretty, a pretty rich and profound moment that star Wars should include now and then. It absolutely should. Uh, and interestingly enough, and, and, and I think this is great. Um, a lot of vets reached out to bill Burr. No uh, way. That's and, wonderful. And, and, yeah. And they were specifically saying, I think you did a great job portraying what a lot of us go through. And it's something that we don't always get to see. Um, but in all these cases, these are star Wars fans as well. So it's like, it's a, it's a, it's a double, uh, bit of acknowledgement, like you said, because this is something that is is often overlooked, and there's a lot of nuance in this scene, um, and it, it handles kind of the like that moment that's done in the Last Jedi, and I think the Last Jedi has a lot of really good messaging around this with Canto Bite um, and DJ, but it, it's has nowhere near the nuance that this scene does, uh, and I think it, it certainly tells a good tale of of the evils of war. Um, yeah. And, and Star especially the way it can poison people too. Absolutely. And how it, also some people are just part of the bigger machine and aren't so evil. Star Wars has always uh, made an effort to be allegorical, especially when George is working on Star Wars. Mm. Um, Mando hasn't done that a whole lot. I mean, like it's a pretty specific experience he's having. I mean, maybe you could stretch some like parenthood metaphor out of this, but like it's, it's pretty bizarre what he's going through. Um, yeah. But then there's also, it's just, it's the little lessons in each bit. And so, yeah, we get this epic tale. Um, but I think that's where like you have like your frog lady episodes where you're getting totally. character development and also, but like things like parenting lessons, like you said. Uh, your turn for number five. Uh, my number five is extremely similar to my number six. Uh, it was the one that kind of got me initially thinking about this topic uh, because it's just loaded with the best last words a character could ever have. And also a character who's has all of the best words at all times, even if they're not in the right order. Yeah. Uh, and that is of course, uh, forever sleep, uh, and, uh, Yoda passing away and also, um, passing into kind of disappearing and becoming one with the force. Soon will I rest? Yes. Forever sleep. Mm. Room to die of. Master Yoda, you can't die. Strong am I with the Force, but not that strong. 
my light is upon me, and soon night must fall. That is the way of things. The way of the Force. Very interestingly, uh, I did an extra bit of a deep dive and haven't been able to find anything that is like strongly canon of, the, of a character of any importance who's not like just merely maybe referenced in a book. But I, I believe Yoda is the only character canonically who is, dies of natural causes. And so oh, that's okay. something that I think we maybe mentioned before back in, in the Empire uh, days of the podcast a few years ago. Um, but th that also is interesting. Yoda, uh, he even says it like, uh, er, um, soon, I, soon will I rest. Yes, forever sleep. Earned it, I have. Yeah. Uh, and it's like it's Yoda has had a life of a lot of pain and ultimately has done an absurd amount of good. And it just ends in disaster. And so he hangs on for dear life for another 20 years until there's the new hope around to train. Uh, and then he's, okay, I built a relationship with you. I can become one with the force. And if you need me, I can come back to you, Skywalker, and we can we can hang out. I'll be a, a blue glowy ghost and Obi-Wan. We can sit on logs and we'll chat and we'll burn down trees and we'll do whatnot. Uh, but I, I, I've, I've finally, I've trained you. I've passed on what I've learned. Uh, I've done my one final thing and now, now I need to go to bed. Um, and I need to, I need to curl up in Qui-Gon's cloak and, and disappear. Yeah. Uh, let's just talk about this now. Cause it's actually coming up on my list. Uh, okay. a, a few, a few elements from now, but let, let's just have the discussion, right? I can't believe that I listed this higher than you. I thought for sure this would be in your top two, just because of how you've always given so much credence to Yoda. And, I mean, Yoda is my right, favorite so, character and yeah. I, I adore all of this moment. Um, it's a beautiful, but, beautiful scene. Yeah, it's just beautiful. And the dialogue and like, Luke, Luke. Do not, do not, do not underestimate the powers of the emperor or suffer your father's fate. You will Luke, when I'm gone, the last of the Jedi, will you be Luke? The force runs strong in your family. Pass on what you have learned. Luke, there is another sky, sky, walker. Right. Yeah. I found it really interesting. Uh, last week also, you made a comment that, that Yoda's life had so much tragedy in it. Although I think I interpreted it as you saying that his death was quite tragic. And I, I was kind of struck by that because it's true. I mean, he, he did spend the last 20 years of his life in isolation after mm. tremendous failure and with, with shame and heartbreak over what had happened. But it is an important distinction that he doesn't die hopeless. In fact, like you just said, mm. like he, his soul or his body kind of clings to this mortal coil until, in fact, there is a hope that can release him onto the next. And Absolutely. he also doesn't die alone. He, he dies, you know, with a friend. And so, uh, and interesting, like, let's go back to our conversation about, about Obi-Wan and, and my interpretation of that as somebody who doesn't understand anything about death, has never experienced death at all. And it's almost it's very possible that I had to see this death to understand that Obi-Wan had even died because again, he fades away, but it's much more explicitly a death in this sequence because he calls Master it Yoda, that. You can't die. Right. And, and it's, it's old age. Like you said, um, natural causes. It, it's, it's very, it's very beautiful. It, it's peaceful too. Yes, but it's, yeah, you're it's right. Sad, but it's peaceful as well. And that like, it's like another bit of like earned it. I have, um, right. And, yeah. And then you get also strong am I with the force, but not that strong. Twilight is upon me and soon night must fall. 
that is the way of things, the way of the force. Mm -hmm. Like, oh my God, it's just a bunch of beautiful rhymes he spits at the end <laughs> as he did his entire life. Makes you kind of wonder, like, what is the expected lifespan of this species that he is? Obviously, you don't know. We can only... We can mm. only guess, but this, like, if he dies of old age, maybe that's not the right term. You used natural causes because it, if he dies of old age, but he was clinging on for life until he could find hope again, then he was already basically at dying age when he went to Dagobah in the first place. And maybe that, so. maybe that's not it. Like, maybe he could have lived to be 2000 um, if there was, like, prosperity for the Jedi. Like, maybe the Force keeps him alive. That, that's very, very possible. I would, at first assumption, believe that he lived a good long life equivalent to what a human might be in their 90s or near 100. Right. Um, that's just the way I interpret it, that their species may live to be, I don't know, 700 to 1,000 years old hmm. uh, on average. I think Yaddle was like 600, but in Yaddle doesn't have a canon death. Uh, and in Legends, died during in an explosion. Um, right. But just in terms of, I know they're thinking about this right now because of Grogu's lifespan. So I, I would be surprised if Grogu lives 2,000 years and then we'll like almost be like, what? Yoda died so young. Why was he so old and walking with a cane for so long? Because he was walking with a cane, even as a cane in the High Republic. I haven't, uh, I mean, we're not in kind of that section yet, but I've been kind of reading the High Republic stuff yet, and I haven't kind of gotten to too much Yoda stuff. But he does have a cane at this point, and that's when he's 700. So 700-year-old Yoda has yeah. a cane. So I would imagine that that it, it kind of semi-mirrors um, like like a 10% or a 10 to 1 ratio. Like that would mean Grogu's 5, yeah, that that's, doesn't quite that, work. That doesn't work, no. It doesn't quite work, but it's not too far off, whereas Yoda being 90 does kind of work. And so... But don't you think that goes in the wrong direction for Grogu? If anything, he should age, he should mature much faster so that he has the wisdom of somebody. This is a problem a lot of people had with the fact that he was supposed to be 50 and he's still a babbling infant akin to like a three-month-old, which I mean, he's not because he has capabilities, but like he is very infantile and he doesn't appear to have collected very much uh, wisdom at least as we would perceive it and so it's like you've talked about maybe he's going to level up in some kind of evolutionary way or or maybe they're going to have to figure out how to pace this in in kind of an odd not totally uh relatable to yoda kind of way there's a couple things so i think that um like an evolution thing in the sense that like there's going to be some form of transformation that he makes where he goes into like a hibernation and grows a lot. I think that's very possible. Yeah. Uh, I think it's very possible that he is simply in arrested development hmm. and that the last 25 years, he has almost 30 years. Uh, he's just, he's been in his little ball and he's been terrified and he's been, probably passed around like a prize between like we don't really know his story in that capacity but there's a chance that maybe he is kind of still at the age of what he was when he was in his 20s and so he hasn't really learned to grow in that time period uh and then there's also the possibility that he like their speech isn't necessarily aligned in the same kind of way because he is strong when he's connected with the force and so maybe when he understands the force better, he's going to just be significantly more lucid seeming and just see. And so maybe speech takes longer time because 
friggin' Yoda doesn't even know how to speak very well. So maybe speech is just difficult with their species. And maybe it'll take them still another 50 or 100 years. Maybe Yoda was teaching other Jedi before he even learned to talk. Who knows? Consider Yoda's this. on paper taught Jedi at the age of 100. Consider this. What if one of the the unique powers of this species is that they can slow and progress their own age at will, which is why Grogu has not aged much at all in the last 50 years and why Yoda seemed to die exactly die of old age, no less exactly when it was, it was time. And I think that's more the force. Yeah. Um, yeah, it would be the force, but maybe yeah, that's but unique I, I that, to their species. Maybe. Yes. I, I absolutely think that there's something inherently so strong with this species. They have, maybe a level of force connection that is just inherently higher than any other being. I mean, his M count was so high. Uh, and they said Anakin was shockingly had a higher M count than midichlorian count than Master Yoda, right. implying Master Yoda was the highest one on record to that point, maybe, mm -hmm. or at least the highest one alive. Yeah. Um, and so if you consider all those kind of pieces, it does make sense that they are just intrinsically more powerful with the force. I don't know if it would allow them to progress their age in different ways but i believe that was the force keeping yoda alive or like being like hey yoda i got you i'll wait until luke is back so that you can give him your final words of wisdom and then you can go uh then twilight can be upon you i'm not just gonna let you die here alone so i think it's a little bit more of that maybe and grogu maybe his arrested development comes from the fact that he had to sever his connection to the force right and because their ability to like they grow because the force gives them life and like maybe that helps their brain develop or whatnot. But because he had to cut himself off, he was like literally cut off from an essential thing that helps him grow and develop. Mm. Uh, I don't know. It's, it's interesting. They've, they've had a lot of science experiment stuff with Grogu. Uh, so there is potential they could go into this stuff a little bit. So for my number five, I'm sticking with the same movie. It's the death of Jabba the Hutt. At the hands nice. of being strangled by by Princess Leia. This one is purely about satisfaction. Jabba is the, as we've said before, he's the epitome of a character uh, you love to hate. Um, and so much of episode six is um, the movie's identity is kind of built up in the character of Jabba and Jabba's palace. Without Jabba in episode six, it really has an identity crisis. So you you appreciate him, his his being there, but there's no point in like, rehabilitating the ethics of this too far gone character who's kind of a wonderfully two-dimensional villain um yeah. and his his villain is exemplified of course in just like his physical grotesqueness he's so awful to look at so it only stands to reason that when he dies he has an equally undignified pathetic death in like in complete terror uh his tongue flailing and and goo dripping down his his rubbery lips um, although it's not without poetry because, you know, he's a slave keeper. And so yeah. he, he dies by his own chains and it's a badass move on Princess Leia's part. And so just like everything about it is just when everything is getting kind of hellish on Tatooine and our heroes are rising up and it's, and it's getting good for them again. And, uh, and you have to see Jabba die in this moment. Um, he's kind of one of those characters that he's actually not in star Wars that much, but you feel like he's in it a lot more because he's just so interesting and his mm. death is a part of that. It's so like yeah. the, the tongue going everywhere is so memorable. Oh, absolutely. And, and this is one that made my honorable mentions. It's a great scene. Uh, and it's because his death is also so very fitting 
for the character. It yes. serves like uh, it serves purpose for Leia as well to further cement that she's not just in prison. Luke isn't just there to save her, and she's not just a damsel in distress. She holds her own the same way that when I'm Luke Skywalker, I'm here to rescue you, and then it's like you don't have a plan. Are you right. kidding me? Yeah. Right, into the garbage chute, fly boys, <laughs> and it's like it, it, that's just who Leia is, and so it totally works. Uh, and that, like you said, Jabba being a slaver killed by his own chains. Uh, it's, it's very fitting and yeah, Jabba is 2D, but like he's perfect. You need to like, so is the emperor. We, yeah. we don't have motives for the emperor yet. Um, really we don't have like what makes him so incredibly evil. Um, and, but in, in that same way, it, sometimes you just need people who are just pure evil and Jabba fits that bill. Cause he's disgusting. Well, uh, and it, also Return of the Jedi is a, like a two act movie. And so yes. it feels very satisfying to kill that son of a bitch. Yeah, it's, it's killing the first of the two major villains in that movie. Hmm. Um, exactly right. I, I mean, you don't really need a whole lot more backstory. It's very easy to understand. He's he's the head gangster. He's the mob boss on his little corner of Tatooine. And, uh, you know, it's kind of brought back into our world it's going to be next christmas time with the book of boba fett but it's it's clear now to us that where we are in the mandalorian's timeline um that palace is still running the show whoever sits in jabba's chair is still got some uh some element some degree of influence over the mob on tatooine and so more than just tatooine is oh yeah so it goes it goes like further into the galaxy yeah, I mean, like, like hut space or like hut territories, and they, like, they have like regions the same way that gangs have regions in cities, and it's just like you don't go on our turf, and so the unclean, like the the non-republic planets and systems, uh, they're pretty much controlled by or have gang uh, turf claimed, and the huts are um at least at this time period um still the biggest crime syndicate in the galaxy so they would have that like that's a that's a throne of some power yeah however bib fortuna is pathetic yeah. so my guess is it's lost some uh steam to a different crime syndicate uh and also the new public's trying to probably clean some things up so that's a little bit better but i would be not i wouldn't be surprised if there is competition for Boba because Bib did such a bad job with yeah. running the, the oh, Hutt yeah. crime family. It, it's interesting. It, it would be nice to see them find a way to bring the Huts back into Star Wars. I know you said that there's like a, uh, a character who's based on Truman Capote in, in Clone Wars or whatever. Not him, no. No? Okay. Well, no. Don't bring, I, he, no, he don't bring him back. He does not need to come back, no. <laughs> no, but, and, and maybe also it's tricky because... There's lots of Huts, though. Yeah, but like... There's they... a whole Hut council. They okay. definitely should come back in some way. Rada the Hut was Jabba's son. Okay. We don't know what happens to him. But are they different um, enough, or is it really worth it to bring them back? Or are they just going to feel like Jabba again, and we're retreading old territory? Well, maybe. It would also be interesting that um, because... I, oh, I forget the name of the Hut, but um, there is a Hut that lives in uh, Mos Pelgo, which is called Vance Town. Okay. And Malakili, who is the Rancor tamer uh, at Jabba's palace, uh, raises the hutlet. Yeah. And so that hutlet is being raised to then uh, take the like rightful throne as an actual hut uh, on Tatooine, but to do so as uh, like a well-raised being, like raised by good people of Tatooine who want a uh, 
like a democratic and fair leader. And so it could be very interesting if in say episode 10, the huts and Tatooine are prosperous mm. and they're also good. Like imagine that we skip a hundred years in the future and Tatooine's not a shithole. It doesn't have slavery and the huts are not vile gangsters, but a, a, they've, they've turned a new leaf in that, in that kind of capacity. And, or in particular, this hut has carved out and maybe you make the other huts still vile gangsters, but this hut has uh, incorporated Tatooine into the new Republic. Who knows? So yeah. I, there, there could be, I think there's still so much potential because of the, uh, the shadow that Jabba has left uh, as, as a hut. Uh, it's still pretty, it casts pretty big shadow. <laughs> so I think someone needs to fill it. Okay. It's your turn for number four. Uh, my number four also comes in the form of a vile gangster uh, with the worst teeth in Star Wars, uh, and that would be Maul, yeah, uh, formerly Darth. And uh, it comes in the Twin Sons episode of Rebels, and it's just an insanely powerful moment. We talked about Obi Wan earlier. Uh, it is the it's really great to see Obi Wan as this kind of stoic and learned Jedi that we that we know of him in A New Hope, but Maul hasn't seen that form of Obi-Wan ever. And it's been 20 years since they've seen each other. Uh, Maul has been searching for him going crazy. Uh, he hates two people more than anything in the world, like more than anything in the galaxy, Sidious and Obi-Wan. Yeah. And he's deathly afraid of one of them. And so he's trying to kill the other one. Yeah. And that's all he has really that he can have going for him. Uh, and he eventually finds where Obi-Wan is and he tracks him down and he is so eager to fight. And what he does is he's just taunting Obi-Wan. Obi-Wan doesn't want to fight. And as soon as he mentions, oh, you're here protecting someone, mm. not something, uh, Obi-Wan ignites the blade and they do their duel. And two lightsaber strikes. Maul does exactly what he did to kill Qui-Gon. It, he tries to uh, cross uh, the double-bladed lightsaber and headbutt Obi-Wan in the face. Obi-Wan ducks and slices Maul up the stomach. Is that what uh, it is? Is that how he gets him? Yeah, he gets him. It's a it's a two, it's a two-second two-move lightsaber battle. I've seen the fight. Uh, I didn't know exactly how he made contact with him. Yeah, and he just he's, he slices him up the center. Yeah, and it's just Obi-Wan is the the stoic samurai. He catches Maul. Uh, and like he holds him while he dies, mm. and Maul is just like, is he the chosen one? Like, he, he, like he just he's, he needs to know something, and Obi Wan says yes, he is, and Maul just is able to release, and it's just like, ah, oh, that he'll avenge us all. Yeah, and he's able to die, and he's able to get over his hatred for Obi Wan in that moment, in the sense that he's 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 going to die knowing that he gets at last he will have his revenge, <laughs> and. That's something that that's all that drives him. He it's all he's ever known. He right. was raised by Sidious to only know that. And he's the most one of the more tragic characters in Star Wars. What Sam Witwer did to uh, truly just explore this chaotic mindset, this insane character that you get to see a great glimpse of uh, in his like soliloquies that he delivers at the end of Clone Wars and how he's just like, the time is upon us. And he's just like, and he, he's, th he's just terrified of what Sidious might be doing at that moment. Um, and so you just get to see all of those elements of Maul, the, all the crazy come out. Um, but he's up against a whole nother Obi-Wan, uh, 
uh, the Obi-Wan that Qui-Gon always wanted Obi-Wan to be. Yeah. And it's like, he like more than ever makes his master proud. And so it's just, it's an incredible moment. And the fact that it's done uh, uh, so beautifully in animation is just a, an incredible testament to Dave Filoni. Uh, and the fact that Obi-Wan does not belong or really have much of a place uh, in Rebels, but the way that they logically made it sense because Maul had a solid place in Rebels shouldn't maybe have worked on paper and maybe could have felt shoehorned, but didn't at all. And it was just really, really awesome. Yeah, I can't I can't speak to it with the, uh, with the amount of authority that you have because I haven't watched his full arc, although I've seen a fair amount of it at this point. It, it is... Mm. It is really cool that they managed to salvage this uh, character with so much potential and turn him into such a fully fleshed out arc and, and a tragic one, like you said, but from what I understand, it's kind of like once he's been struck down or to know at all that there is a chosen one who can avenge everybody, it's almost like he doesn't need to live anyway because like you said, like he, he doesn't, ha he only has that one purpose and it is vengeance. And if ultimately uh the galaxy is in better hands or if ultimately the great villain that has uh tormented all of us is eventually silenced then fine our little feud is kind of uh futile anyway um and so i like that but but this kind of raises an interesting question because i considered this and it ultimately didn't impact my decision making but uh would you challenge uh an installment on this list that was at a time, a perceived death and later was retconned? Because for a lot of people who never watched The Clone Wars, Darth Maul died at the end of The Phantom Menace. And so mm -hmm. that's not canonically the case anymore. Uh, he's definitely not dead in that moment. But another comparable example is... Boba that Fett? No. Well, that that's a good example, though. Um, I was going to say Palpatine when he definitely seems like he dies at the end of Return of the mm -hmm. Jedi. In fact, you could make the case that he does. So you you could actually. That's the only one I would say you could make the case on. In other cases, you wouldn't accept Boba Fett or no, uh, I wouldn't accept Boba Fett or Maul. Okay, um, just based on the fact that there is especially, actually no, especially both of them. There is now way more after their supposed death. Yeah. There's just more story after their death than there was before. And so although that was what we had perceived at a time period, Palpatine straight up dies and his soul is able to transfer because of dark magic, secrets only the Sith knew. Uh, you know, Dominic Monaghan's line that I'm sure right. was probably a couple paragraphs and they decided, no, we only need one sentence. That's all the fans need. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I haven't gotten into it yet, but I'll give a very clear and obvious uh, uh, kind of window into my six least favorite deaths in Star Wars. And my number one would be Palpatine. <laughs> oh, okay. That's so interesting. Yeah, Palpatine uh, is easily my least favorite death in Star Wars. Mine's Padme. Uh, Padme is my number two. Yeah. So that was, those are, and I'll go through my list right now. Number okay. three was Phasma. Number four is Hux. Yep. Number five is Akbar, uh, just because it's insanely unceremonious. Uh, and six is Kiati Mundi because Kiati Mundi was extremely skilled with the blade and he was super prepared and realized the clones had turned on him and blocks like, three or four shots. Yeah. Like, seriously, dude, you're on the like Jedi council. You really should have done a hell of a lot better against like six or seven clones. 
Uh, and so that one was kind of weak. And then I gave some honorable mentions to Kit Fisto, Stacey Tin, and Agent Kolar. Those are the three guys that uh, Palpatine kills in like yeah. four seconds after he screams and leaps across. The it's road. just hard to believe because of the physicality of Ian McDermott. I can see it yeah. on paper how it makes sense that he beat them, but it's, it just didn't work in the film. It didn't work visually. I was also kind of thinking Django Fett's not a very good death. Like it's it's a striking moment, but like they mm. could have given him a little more dignity. Well, actually, that was one of the ones that I I. I kept thinking about, but didn't even put in my honorable mentions uh, because I, I think it is such a friggin' striking moment. Yeah. It is such a striking moment. And now it has a lot of significance for the character Boba. True. Who we're going to learn a bunch more about, but it it, it is not a, a ceremonious death at all for Django. And so the way I viewed the list, it, it just didn't make it for that reason. Uh, but yeah, that is one of the cooler like kills. For okay. Sure. Well, I'm going to talk about a character getting the death they deserve, and this is one of the heavy hitters. My number is four. This three or four? four. My, my number four is, is, okay. Han, is Han Solo. I'm being torn apart. I want to be free of this pain. Han Solo, and nice. Who dies when Kylo Ren stabs him at the end of The Force Awakens. I know what I have to do, but I don't know if I have the strength to do it. Yes, this one. Will you help me? Yes, anything. Really, hurts. really friggin' hurts. Uh, but that's how we know it's good, in a way, because it, mm -hmm. it's it's very clear why it's strongly contributive to, to the overall narrative. It doesn't feel like you got cheated at all. It doesn't feel superfluous. It's not wasted. It kind of bolsters your new uh, idea of who this Kylo Ren guy is. Maybe even suggests that he's more corrupt a villain than, than previous villains we've had. Um, you're still able to watch and appreciate Kylo's story for the next two and a half movies uh, without holding a grudge against him uh, because because the death makes a lot of sense. And that's really all we really want from good storytelling is that you follow your own rules. Um, it's visually stunning this moment. Uh, the dialogue is, of course, very intriguing. The fear of this happening is very present leading right up to the dreaded moment itself. <laughs> And I'm thinking about Han. Han's main characteristic was always his mere humanity. He was always just the guy who got caught up in this and was was a very good person deep down. And so he always had to die. It's just such a relief that he died perfectly. Yeah, absolutely. It was an honorable mention for me. Uh, it's an incredible, incredible moment. Uh, it's the right death. Um, and so it was... It was hard to not put it on my list in that kind of way yeah. because it was the right death for like a perfect character. Yeah. And so that's, it, it really, but it, it, it hurts a lot. And like you said, that, that, that's, that's good and it matters. Um, it's a little, um, and it, it, it does deliver in the rise of Skywalker for sure. Um, we still don't fully, know why he needs to kill him as much um but in that same way and, and, and a little bit i think the reason as to why it didn't make my list is because you know it's happening you yeah. know and and i think that that's good because you're nervous of it happening but at the same time you do know it's happening and so 
it's fair because you need to be able to prepare yourself as you're going through, because if they didn't prepare us and if it was not out on this ridiculous beam, like platform area with no uh, railings where he could just fall in, if it was just like on a, like if it was in an area that seemed safe, we wouldn't be quite as worried and therefore as prepared to deal with what was going to be coming um, I don't know. It, 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 it's an incredible, incredible scene. Uh, it's an incredible moment. Uh, it's, it feels earned and deserved. Han always turns the other way. Uh, he takes the, at first he always takes the, the easy way out, but then comes back to do the right thing. And that's what he does in the end, yeah. which is, and of course, Chewie screams, uh, make it even harder as well. Yeah, so. I know we do feel a little shortchanged by, uh, the story of, Ben Solo and his relationship with his parents that's a little bit underserved and you and I talked mm. uh, when we broke down the Rise of Skywalker about the, the clear difference between how he feels about his dad versus his mom. He gives his mother a lot more um, mercy than he does his father. And all I can all I can connect on my own is that he was kind of uh, uh, brainwashed to be something of a death eater. You know, he's so obsessed with his grandfather who was like supposedly the greatest Sith Lord ever, the greatest, you know... Uh, uh, force-powered, force-empowered uh, uh, evil figure. He doesn't call himself evil, but of the dark side. And I think maybe he's ashamed of his father, who was a mere man and, you know, was on the other side, but didn't even have so much as the force power like his mother did. And so he felt so different from his dad that he resented him. I I agree. I see it actually as the inverse of that exact situation. I see it as he resented his father because his father didn't understand him. Yeah. And that, but but not like, but that he, he was uh, like that. He was afraid that Han was afraid of him. Right. Yeah. There was, there was something in between them. There was definitely an estrangement between them where they didn't totally get each other. And that's true of Han Solo just inherently, by the way, like, yes, he comes a long way and he accepts that the force is real. It's true. All of it. But in his bones, he does not understand the force. He never did. And he can tell you that's not how the force works, but he doesn't know how the force works either. And, and so there's always going to be this kind of distance. And, and that's, what's perfect though, because, that's what Luke can't reach to him for. Yep. That's why Luke can't get through to him. And to a degree, it's a bit of, yeah, Leia understood the Force. Luke understood the Force. I understood the Force. But when Mom sent me off to Uncle Luke, you just said, sure. Yeah. And then Uncle Luke attacked me, and that's what happened. I mean, you weren't there to protect me. You didn't do anything. You were off. Like in you, you were just a pilot running your schemes. You were just you, you you didn't you didn't even try to understand. Whereas that would probably wasn't as much the case. But Han's lack of understanding he probably viewed as a lack of trying to a degree. Um, but then again, it isn't fleshed out to the same uh, extent that we would maybe want it to. But it's also such a powerful moment, especially because of the fact that Han is the only one who's able to get through to him in the end. And Leia sends that kind of well, and he's reminder probably, to Ben. Yeah, that's the thing. He's able to kind of commu- communicate with his mother on a, on a more spiritual level than, than his father could ever be capable of. That was going to create a difference in his relationships no matter what. I also think on a more base level, he's just trying to be a badass. He's just trying to prove that he's rejected this part of his life. 
a hundred percent. That is a, yeah. that that is what he ends up like. I don't like. I know what I have to do, but I don't know if I have the strength to do it. Right. That's uh, he he's saying that because he it's he he's referring to there is two things he's referring to, but at the same time, one of those things literally is to show I'm a big bad dark sider. Yeah. Um, and that's ultimately the one that he chooses and says thank you as he grits his teeth and becomes insane for the rest of the movie like you need a teacher and it's all just like angry and like um we're not done yet and so he, he i love we're not done yet yeah it's such a yeah. biting moment yeah. um but yeah so it, it's such a powerful one uh another one that um just was right on the the edge of my list um but didn't make it and i, I, I as much as um I I love the character of Han more than I love some of the other characters on my list. Uh, I guess similarly with Yoda, um, I guess maybe I've, uh, I guess maybe their deaths hurt more than being a good part of their story. Okay. Uh, in the sense of it's like as much as it's the right part of their story, a hundred percent in both cases, it's a little bit like no, you're leaving us. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. And so as much as that is the it's the right call. Um, that's a selfish uh, thing. It is your turn for number three, your third favorite death in Star Wars. Uh, my third favorite death in Star Wars uh, comes from a few different angles. And this one does from a primary perspective. It is a bit of the fact that it's a kill, but at the same time, it's uh, the moment watching it. And it's what you expect is going to happen. Then what you expect is happening and then you realize is happening and it's just the the complete zigzag and you also you uh, hinted say. at the, the the scene earlier yeah. um but the first one to die in said scene and that would be snoke's death yeah uh and just the moment when you realize what kylo is actually doing and then you realize oh my god he just turned back to the light yeah what's the big bad in all this snoke is dead like Oh my God, what is going on? And then you get this amazing fight scene and like, it's got a bunch of those cool kills, like you mentioned, and then it twists back the other way. Uh, and then in retrospect, uh, the rise of Skywalker, my landslide favorite thing about that movie is, uh, the way that it, at least really completes, uh, Ben Solo and Kylo Ren's story in a way that is, cohesive and, and does make a lot of sense between the three movies yeah. um, about him being a puppet of Palpatine's and a Palpatine finally, after failing with Luke, uh, succeeding with Anakin by like saying, Oh, help me, help me Anakin. And him cutting off um, Mace Windu's hands or, and then Palpatine throwing him out the window, the window. Uh, <laughs> um, I wonder if that was intentional. If it's a uh, joke, it's just a weird window pun. <laughs> <laughs> that his name's like, oh, you don't know how you're gonna die yet. Um, but it's it, and he tries to like goad Luke into killing Vader or killing him, but specifically he succeeds in getting Kylo to kill his master uh, by getting Snoke to tempt him in the right way. And so it's yeah. a fulfillment of that Return of the Jedi scene in this dark side way. And so it is that badass aspect. And it's the whiplash that you get in the audience the first time that you watch it. And it's what made me adore The Last Jedi the first time that I saw it. And what makes me like the movie as an overall um, 
experience and which makes me very happy that's part of Star Wars. I have a ton of criticisms as we went through it because they're they're there, but it doesn't mean some of the big overarching and the main parts of that movie aren't sensational. Um, and especially for that first time you watch it. Yeah. Uh, the movie really, really succeeds there. Um, and it's one of the big biggest twists I've been able to have from a Star Wars viewing experience as I was a toddler when I watched the original trilogy and there aren't big twists in the prequels. This no. is the first twist you see on screen, yeah. really, yeah. Uh, or that I've seen on screen um, because of my age. And so, yeah, it, it mattered a lot in that regard. I don't like necessarily the character Snoke that much. Um, I, I don't dislike him. I think he's a cool character. He's got some badass lines, um, but the, the death is... Um, connected to a lot of other characters. The kill is cool, but it was, it was an, a reactionary thing for me as well. So I guess it was um, just it, it, because it, brought, it gave me a, a different feeling than I'd ever had watching a Star Wars okay. thing. Can I talk now? Sorry, I know I rambled a long time there. <laughs> well, just just because my number three is Yoda, so we're going to skip that. My number two is Snoke. So we might as well oh, like, I'm sorry. have these conversations here. And everything you just said is what I wrote down on my script. Um, except except I, I related the, the killing of your master thing further back i can't believe you didn't go all the way back to to darth plagueis because yeah i mean that is what palpatine views as the necessary step in your rise to evil is your ability to kill your master so it's not at all about turning good but when we enter uh the last jedi we're still operating under the assumption there is no palpatine anymore and that snoke is the new palpatine and so it's never occurred to us that he might not make it to the end of the trilogy and when we and when he gets killed you're right it's a blind side it's literally a twist of a lightsaber and and you kind of have this like you said whiplash of of where ben solo's allegiances lie or kylo ren's and then to have it resolved in the rise of skywalker to learn that in fact that it was just it was just another step towards evil it wasn't a, a good thing for him to do at all he was completely out of control um is is really rich because then it explains why immediately after he uh, kills Snoke and goes on a killing spree with Rey, he is suddenly 300% more evil than he's ever been, screaming from the deck of that ship. And so that's kind of a weird thing as it happens. You just figure, well, maybe he's having a tantrum because Rey said once and for all she will not join him. But no, it is much deeper than that. And I guess Ryan Johnson didn't necessarily know that that was the plan, but it it is a rare case where the incohesion of J.J. and Johnson uh, actually kind of worked out. You have to see it a few times to realize that's what they're going for, and you have to be really well-versed in the the rule of two, I guess. But well, it's, it's, it's there. And there's this new twist on the rule of two that you literally pass on to the other person. Hmm. And Palpatine wanting Ray to kill him and wanting Kylo to kill him so that he can then like join them. And so to a degree, part of Palpatine goes into Kylo um, when he kills Snoke because part of Palpatine is in Snoke yes. in some capacity. And so it's, yeah, sorry I went on such a long, it didn't allow for a very good back and forth there. Uh, I just assume, I, I don't know why I didn't assume that you'd have it on your list. Um, but yeah, it's such a cool moment. And like you said, uh, it's cool and it's great in the moment, but it does unpack later on. Yes, yes, and that's kind of why I chose it. It is ultimately a cool kill, and it's not that I feel very strongly about 
about Snoke. It's a Kylo scene. And then it evolves into one of the most brutal battle scenes we like combat scenes we see in Star Wars and Ray holds her own and that she's really cool too. It's not all Kylo. But uh yeah, to to watch it and to see it happening is is awesome. Although I can remember thinking if this guy is so all powerful, is he, if he's so all knowing, and I mean Snoke, um and he in fact taught Kylo everything he knows about the dark side, how come he is not more on to Kylo in this moment? Well, he is. This is just all part of the master plan. But I remember being like a little held by that and feeling like I had to um, check my uh, my realism meter in the moment. And now it's fine. But at the time, I was kind of like, eh, okay, I guess I buy that. And this is one of those scenes that when we watched The Last Jedi, we hadn't seen The Rise of Skywalker yet when doing this podcast as well. Um I know we spoke very highly of this scene when we did our review, but it wouldn't shock me if we mentioned that as yeah. something that was like a little inconsistent, but now makes even more sense than we could have expected before. And so uh, I really see a, a lot of cohesion there. Um, and uh, it, it's a shame that the first sequence of the rise of Skywalker isn't a bigger part of the damn movie yeah. because it's such a strong connection and a, an explanation for the previous two that, it like if you flesh it out a little bit more, you might be able to start to see some of the trails and then maybe m- like piece some things together that don't quite make sense in a bit better of a way because there's a bit more context. Might have been but. a good opportunity to use some of those um, sparing but sometimes useful expository flashback things where they actually show you stuff you've seen before. This happens in murder mysteries a lot where they show you scenes you've you've already seen and now you're seeing them through this new lens of understanding. They could show us the throne room again and actually it's just Kylo not having free will or something like that so that you better understand how all along he was being puppeteered by Palpatine. Yeah, or even just a flat... Like, I, I believe... No, I, I know for a fact that this was in um, Ray's. Well, I don't. It, yeah, it, it wasn't Palpatine, but it was in Ray's uh, Force Vision that um, initially it, one of the things she sees is uh, a young, dark-haired boy speaking with a less scarred-up Snoke, mm. and so it's supposed to show like that Snoke is at hooks into Ben from a very young age, and then we find out, of course, later that it's Palpatine, which there is likely not likely there was always going to be some kind of connection between well i don't know in trevorrow's script yeah i guess trevorrow really would have dropped the ball on that one we would have definitely been like what the fuck dude yeah um in addition to a couple other things but we would have been like really who the hell was snoke <laughs> he doesn't yeah. explain who snoke was i just realized that now <laughs> i think one of the great uh uh faults of the rise of skywalker is in the prom- in the promoting of Palpatine's return. I think they did that because they knew they didn't have a perfect movie on their hands, but like it might have worked better as a twist that you just get all at once rather than you like you spend a month leading up to the release of this movie being like why is Palpatine back? What does that mean? How's that possible? And then the twist of the movie that actually you know already is in the first 5 minutes of the film and so there's really no satisfying reveal and except for the fact that Ray you're a Palpatine which also, yeah. if you remove from the movie, the movie becomes just slightly same. better. It's yeah. the same movie. It's yeah. just slightly better because The Last Jedi, You're a Nobody, is better than her being a Palpatine. Agreed. If you had asked me that after watching The Force Awakens, I never would have said that, yeah. ever. Yeah. Um, but in retrospect, um, Kenobi or Nobody, um, I still think Nobody, but 
the same thing that happened when Anakin was born and happening for Rey. I still think that was the one that made And you the can most still sense, give your but... silly metaphor about found family. Anyway, we're talking about the, this movie that exactly, we're, is not right. even... <laughs> um, but in, in the same point, it, it is all it does connect back to Snoke and in, in the role that he's playing for these other characters. Yes. Because like we were saying, we don't care about his death. It's the impact that it has on the entire story and the other characters and the other implications that it means uh, and how important that is. So you have two left. I only have one. So consider what you think that one might be and just try not to uh, to step all over it as you tell, so tell me your talk, second. Let's talk about that one right now because it's definitely my number two. Okay. Um, and I can only assume you're number one. Uh, and that would be um, that would be both um the 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 death of Darth Vader and shortly after that of Anakin Skywalker. Luke, help me take this mask off. But you'll die. Nothing can stop that now. Just for once. Let me look on you with my own eyes. Anakin hung on to life through hatred and he just released hatred. So he has nothing, he can't hang on to life mm -hmm. because he's given that up and his love for his son doesn't matter. That, that was the, the one thing that he needed. He just needed some light back because he lost it all when he killed his wife all those years back. And the fact that the only thing that maybe could have saved that is the fact that he has kids and then he finds that he has Luke and he's on this mission to reconnect with Luke. The only thing he knows is the dark side. And eventually he finds his way back to Luke. And it's shockingly, uh, not shockingly to us or to Luke, but shockingly to him, it is him returning to the light, not Luke joining the dark. Because the emperor, the, only, like, the man who has gotten everything he has wanted constantly, the man who, has, who told Darth Vader, uh, only I can save your wife from dying. And then set after he betrays all his friends, if we work together, we can figure it out. Cause only one guy did it before and I killed him. <laughs> and then it's a matter of, oh, they fail. You killed her in your anger. And then he treats him like a dog for 20 years because he uh, lost in his fight to Obi-Wan and isn't as strong as he potentially could have been. Ultimately what we now realize is because he wanted to jump into his body and all that stuff. But it's just, it's the, the perfect end to the tragedy of Darth Vader. Go, my son. Leave me. No, you're coming with me. I'll not leave you here. I've got to save you. You already have, Luke. You were right. You were right about me. Tell your sister, you are right. It is the heart of George Lucas's original uh, double trilogy. And so it, and it's the perfect ending to the, to the perfect tragic uh, character. But uh, I mean, there's a lot of, there's so many things you could say about it, but it's just, it's such a defining moment in all of Star Wars. Um, and it's, it's, it's great to see him and finally become Anakin again and, and talk to Luke. You know, I'm struggling to come up with a really good excuse for why this isn't on my list. And I, I probably don't have one. Um, I didn't have one to not have Han on mine. Yeah. And there's another, there's another character that I don't have a good excuse to not have mine on either, but it, six isn't that many. 
No, and I guess I wanted to have some kind of uh, variety among us. But like, I mean, you're of course you're right. This is like, an, and it ultimately is Anakin Skywalker's story as well as it is Luke's. And so this is a completion of a six episode arc, and and it is in a strange way a happy ending um, for for a otherwise very very yeah. very tragic figure in Anakin this is Skywalker. The happiest ending he could have. Some, Him living is tra- is even more tragic. Absolutely, and so. I think I think it's two things. I think one, I still kind of struggle with this the good guy, the bad guy are in fact two people, and so you have to watch for the subtleties when they become someone else. I I, I, I can see how that me that is true spiritually. And so I it the other thing is when the helmet comes off, he is not really either Anakin Skywalker or Darth Vader to me anymore. And that is just a fallacy. It's just a failure on my part to be a good movie fan. But there's just something about uh I guess it's Sebastian Shaw, right? Yeah. Um, it, 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 it's the dialogue is beautiful. Um, Mark Hamill does a wonderful job, and it's nothing wrong with uh, Sebastian Shaw's performance either. But he has just not been intrinsically part of this, um, this relationship with the character ever, and so it suddenly feels like a stranger at the tender moment. And so, while I I love it on paper, and I do love it visually. I think I just kind of become disconnected from it. And it's like, oh, there he's in, he's got a distracting face. And like, it, does that make yeah. sense? It makes a ton of sense. Yeah. For me, the reason why, uh, and I don't know if this is the reason why, but I get, it is the first Anakin that we ever saw. True. Uh, I directly connect it with Vader and the original trilogy. And so like, it's easy to see how the burnt up crisp of Anakin could become this over time. But also, as much as I adore uh, and, and, and like, uh, it, oh, of course, there are definitely some flaws in Hayden Christensen's performance overall. Like, I love Hayden Christensen. I yeah, mean, me too. Uh, of course. But still, Matt Lanter, animated Anakin Skywalker, is the Anakin I've spent the most time with. Yeah. But Sebastian Shaw's face, I have always known as Anakin Skywalker since before I can remember anything. Mm-hmm. Star Wars, some of my earliest memories, but Darth Vader was also that character. But the first time I ever really felt like I knew Anakin was Jake Lloyd, and the first time that I ever like got to know Anakin as the Jedi was Hayden Christensen. Yeah. And so I don't really have a direct person that I tie it to. It's the character and the it's fact that George people. Lucas right. unites it all together, and that he builds those consistencies. And absolutely, Darth Vader is two people, but one person at the same time. And I think that's what's so beautiful is because yes, you can say that, yeah, they're two people, but no, it's the fact that it's this one person who's trying so hard to be someone completely different, right? who's trying so hard for them to be two people, but they're not. Mm. And as much as we can view them as two different people because they are so very different when they are, when he's trying to be dark or when he is just dark, um, the character uh, supersedes the person. Yeah, uh, and supersedes the actor uh, for me. Well, I, I mean, I prefer what you just said to what I actually think is what they're going for in the sequel trilogy. I think that's 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 true, and it's a good lesson. But like, they made a, a pretty strong point of in the Rise of Skywalker. Not to go back to bitching about this movie, but they're like <laughs> they're like pretty clear about no, they're different people, and look how his shoulders are different now. And that's not what do you mean? Oh, Ben? Yeah, and, that and, is and a ultimately, different. and ultimately. It is a a nice reflection of of the character of Ben Solo if he's trying to be like his grandfather 
and failing. And little does he know he's more like him than he ever could have imagined because he has the streak of good in him. And I like that, but that's not exactly what they're going for. It's not exactly what they're going for, but I think the big differentiator between Kylo Ren and Ben Solo, and I think this is something that was absolutely not the intention in The Force Awakens or The Last Jedi, but became what it was in The Rise of Skywalker and was not what I would have expected, but ultimately works. Ben Solo's story is one about perceived agency and actual being a prisoner as well. Yeah. And so a bit of it is he is a prisoner and a bit of it is he doesn't think he has agency. And so he makes these terrible decisions. The story of Darth Vader is the consequences of making a bad decision and doubling down on that. Um, and it, it is a story about choice, whereas Ben Solo is less a story about choice. And so I think you absolutely can view those as two different characters because one of them is Ben Solo with Palpatine as a cancerous, like a, like I, I know the dark side is in its own way, like a, like a parasite and like a, like a, a corruption. disease, yeah. but a corruption. Absolutely. But Palpatine has a different sort of hold into Kylo Ren. It's like, it's almost like a more, like a, like almost more biological. Yeah. Like it's almost like it's a chip bloody implanted. It's almost like it's order 66. Mm. Um, it feels like it, it, whereas Anakin's was a matter of Anakin was manipulated and made a bad decision. Kylo Ren, absolutely the same thing, but he had even less decision-making capability than, than he thought. Yeah. And so he gives himself the ability to forgive himself, but at the same time, he still trades his life for Ray's because he knows he doesn't deserve to live either. And so his okay. is, whereas they totally were trying to make a version of Vader who was going to learn a similar lesson, Yeah. but it was a different sort of thing that he learns in the end. And so I think it does kind of work because um, the Vader Anakin one, like the, the, the eyes showing through that they've done really well in animation and how it can flicker between the yellow and the blue, the oh, yeah. Revenge of the Sith. That's really great. Two questions for you about Hayden Christensen. Considering he does kind of become good again as Seba Sebastian Shaw, do you think it's right that they replaced Sebastian Shaw's Force Ghost with Hayden Christensen's in the re-release of Return of the Jedi? Yes, because we spent more time with him and because Sebastian Shaw as a burnt up Anakin doesn't look like Sebastian Shaw as a non burnt up Anakin. Right. So, they so we have a, we have a totally new face in the fucking sky. Who's not even the face that we see burnt up. Right, and that's true. He doesn't even say anything. He just smiles. And so I'm, I'm cool to get rid of him. Right. And the character never should have looked like that because he was no, young. He when never, he, got... he never would have. Yeah. Um, okay. The other question is the way they're going to surely make an effort to make Ewan McGregor look more like Alec Guinness in the Obi-Wan show, the way they already started to do a little bit in Return of the, or Revenge of the Sith, but they're going to they're gonna amp that up even more. Mm -hmm. Do you think in what little Hayden Christensen we're going to get in that series, they're going to try and Sebastian Shaw him up a little bit? Uh, yes and no. Okay. I think that they're going to show the, that the scars are healing the way that they heal for Sebastian Shaw. Sure. The top of his head will look like it's like a jagged, not the top of a head at all. Yeah. It's like, it's going to look, they're going to, I think they're going to do a really good job of showing the fact that skin has literally melted on his face and that it's like, it's it, his face is like longer and it almost looks like he's jowly, but it's the fact that his skin is literally melted. Yeah. Although Sebastian Shaw was just like a slightly thicker man than Hayden Christensen. Hayden Christensen is still very lean. And so they need to just beef him up a little bit in that regard. So yeah, I think they will. And uh, because he's been in the suit for so long, I don't see any reason why he shouldn't be 
as white as a fucking ghost in uh, uh, 10 years after uh, Revenge of the Sith versus at the end of Return of the Jedi. Right. Okay. Uh, I've only got one more. You've only got one more. Yeah. Is it the death of Luke Skywalker? It is not. Oh, great. Okay. Who wants now, that to- was my number seven. Han was my number eight. I quickly cut Han. Um, and then battle between uh, Luke and Obi Wan, and went with Obi Wan. And so, well, then, I was then let me very talk. Glad you have Luke. Let me talk about Luke before you get to your last one. Then, uh, of course, he dies at the end of the Last Jedi. A lot of good deaths in the Last Jedi mm. a- after like a, a sort of exertion from his astral projection. This could be controversial among Star Wars fans, considering he's of course polarizing in this movie. I like him, um, mm. but if the goal of the sequels, right or wrong, was to mirror the original Star Wars movies, then this second installment needs a big twist. And with this death of a character, with this appearance of a character, uh, really delivers. Because when you realize this complex, not new, but sort of new to us facet of the Force, this astral projection as it's come to be known, uh, has been teased all throughout the movie when you realize that it is in fact in play in Luke's final burst of heroic energy. You get chills in that moment when you realize what's happening. He does it with this delightfully wry sense of humor. Uh, and there's all these wonderfully subtle little performative choices he's making. Uh, the winking at 3PO. The fact that Leia definitely knows actually what's happening here. Uh, it's a very gratifying reveal. And plus, it's it's really pleasing to see a closure for Luke's journey. I think it was a surprise to me that he would die before the end of episode nine, but in hindsight, mm-hmm. this is Ray's chapter and he should not cloud the final chapter too much. And so I get that he was taken out when he was. I think this moment alone is a defense of the sequel trilogy. I think it's perfect. I agree. Yeah. I agree. Everything you said, I completely agree. Um, yeah, there, 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 there's nothing that I have that's that's against this moment. Uh, there was no reason it didn't make my list. Um, it was nothing, it was not like, oh, but this moment has that. And so I can like, I can kind of cut that one out. No, I had none of that shit. This is a, this is beautiful. This yeah. is a phenomenal moment. It's one of my favorite moments in star Wars. Uh, Luke Skywalker is incredible. Um, it's a great death. Does he need to necessarily die right there? Maybe not, but at the same time, I think it's right. And I definitely agree with you that it's right to have him die in eight. It was always Lucas's intention for him to die then. And it's it's the right end to that journey, but it's also, it's the most badass thing ever, the way that he projects himself so far. And of course, yes, he's going to die of exhaustion in, in that way. And it's the first time we kind of see that. And I think it's the first time we see someone die of exhaustion, uh, but Leia dies of exhaustion as well. Yeah, And it's because they've had the galaxy on their backs yeah. for 35 years. Yeah. And that's literally the point. Mm-hmm. And that's what he shows the galaxy. He kind of like the galaxy is just like, oh, well, we're in the shit now. Luke Skywalker's gone. And uh, Leia's son went bad. And Leia's husband left her. And, Do oh something. Do something, other people. <laughs> I know. But it's kind of Luke's moment of, okay, do something, other people. I'll remind you that like there will always be heroes. Mm-hmm. Like I will, I will ensure that the resistance lives another day. I will not be the last Jedi. Um, and, and it's just, it's a great moment. And then Kylo, of course, not being able to get what he wants and having that exact, uh, it, like, it, like you said, like it's that same thing of just like, oh my, it, 
he doesn't get what he wants the same way that the invader stepping on obi-wan's cloak and he's just like where the fuck is he yeah <laughs> how do you like more powerful than i could possibly imagine see you around kid and wants to explode with rage but that's so, why he has to die in that moment because you're right you're, that's right first of all there's no there's no satisfying way for someone to best luke skywalker that would mm. that would be a shitty way for for luke to he, yep. he needs to die by his own choice mm-hmm. uh by his own uh final burst of power with the force a la obi-wan yeah. His, his original master. And so that's why it is his decision to go this way. And when he sees the galaxy is in good hands the way Yoda did, he's mirroring what his masters have done. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And so, yeah, that another one that just it's the same way, kind of like you just said for for Vader. It's like, yeah, it's like, how do, how do you not have this? I don't have it. There's no reason I don't have it on there. It's because it's, it's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That brings us to uh, your number one. And I guess I have no... Sweet you have clue. You should have no sweet clue. And so I'm going to do a little bit of uh, context setting just so that you can kind of understand a little bit where it was coming from. And so in Rebels, there's uh, your your merry band of misfits. Mm-hmm. And so you've got Kanan, who is the who was a Jedi Padawan, whose master saved his life. And so he ran into hiding uh, and essentially just became a bit of a a bit of a pirate renegade, uh, a bit of a drunk, just a, a bit of a buffoon, just trying to hop around and not be a Jedi. Um, and uh, Hera, who was the daughter of a freedom fighter, uh, she was the pilot on on the Ghost, uh, which is their ship. And then they had Ezra, the the young Jedi, and then they also had Sabine, the Mandalorian, as well. And so they're just this kind of merry band of misfits. But Kanan's journey is about growing up and needing to teach Ezra because Ezra is young and he's extremely powerful in the force and Kanan realizes he's the only one who can teach him. And so over the course of kind of this series, you, you see the relationships kind of grow and he's got clearly a a bit of a thing with Hera, but they don't really do anything about it because they're in the middle of a bloody war. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so his relationship with Ezra is certainly grown. They've got a lot of really cool things that they do. Like one of my favorite things that they do is they throw each other. Okay. Uh, to go great distances oh. and so they'll th- like one of them will do a force jump and then the other one will force throw them further okay <laughs> and so like they can do like a cl- it's just to further show um, how cool like how good their bond is together okay. uh like like really like anakin obi-wan like wow this is amazing what a master and apprentice can kind of do it's reminding me of the flying graysons <laughs> yeah sure in the tra- trapeze kind of stuff yeah. but it's amazing that like Oh wow, that would come in handy a lot. It's yeah. basically meaning you can like fly almost. Yeah. Um, and so anyway, uh, Hera is kidnapped by Thrawn uh, nearish the end of the, the fourth and final season. Uh, she's kidnapped. Uh, they do a big rescue mission, and it's successful. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Hera and Kanan, uh, they've finally got to the kind of the rendezvous point on top of this tower. Uh, and that's where Ezra and Sabine are going to meet them when they fly their ship overhead. Uh, and then Hera kind of admits her feelings that they've both kind of repressed. Uh, it's, it's, an, it's a nice moment. And then Ezra and Sabine arrive and then like they're there to pick them up. Uh, and then this is Lothal, which is the planet where a lot of this takes place. It's Ezra's home planet. It's been taken over by the Empire. It's a big uh, weapon and, and ship production facility. And so right around the corner comes an ATAT. Okay. This is this peaceful moment. They just had a big victory. This is an animated kids show. It's near the end. It's not the last episode. And the ATAT rounds the corner and fires at the fuel tank. 
that they're right underneath. Oh, wow. And so they're just like two of the main characters, two of the four main characters are on top of a, a fuel tank that has just exploded. And Kanan it goes blind uh, because Maul slices him across the eyes uh, at the end of season two. Uh, and so, yeah, gross moment. Yeah. Uh, but Kanan also another massive learning curve. And that's where he has a force vision and becomes uh, Jedi knighted. And it's a, it's a really cool kind of force journey that he goes on and he like, grows up a lot when he becomes blind uh, and he becomes extremely wise. He becomes a really phenomenal Jedi as opposed to just kind of a, a cowboy dickhead at the start of the show. Okay. Um, and so what he does is as soon as it happens, he immediately levitates Hera like throws her up in the air and contains the explosion beneath him. Okay. And so it's exploding right below him with the force and he's keeping her up in air. And then everybody is just horrified looking. It's like incredible acting for animation. The music is intense. Like the scoring from Kevin Kiner is incredible. This is you're not, this is not what you're expecting. Right. At all. This is not the last episode. There's like five episodes left. It was in the last couple seconds, and they just had a great victory, the Rebels. And the only thing he can do, because it's a gigantic fuel explosion, is because the ship is right above them, is he throws Hera to Ezra, so Ezra can bring her in. They do that one final time, where he's throwing the, the woman he loves to the Padawan he's trained, like kind of a look after her for me, and throws the ship with them. Whoa. But he's just thrown a ship, and all of his friends... And used all the force and in the process has gotten his sight back so he can look at them one final time and then just engulfs himself in flames. Wow. And just explodes. And they're just completely devastated and horrified. Yeah, but but like and a, so are you as a fan. But a great he, heroic sacrifice. Yeah. And I was just I was shocked. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God, animation literally just made me cry. Yeah. And I just I was blown away and, I, and then the episode ends and then it's just it's it's a just a a gob smacking moment mm. uh and really just a phenomenal end to the story uh and it shows like because ezra is a bit of a nuisance at the start kanan's kind of cool like he's initially described as han solo who was raised as a jedi but had to go into hiding okay that was like the description that freddie prince jr was given to have in season one and then he's supposed to grow up sort of thing but he really does and becomes like almost like an Obi-Wan. So it's a big evolution that this character has, whereas Ezra's a bit of a shit and has really grown into a character that you've really quite started like. So it's a, it's a really great moment. I know I had to kind of paint a bit of a picture there because it's not one that probably anybody knows of uh, except for the big Rebels fans. But it's the fact that it's my number one and it was easy for it to be my number one certainly shows the way to the moment. And uh, there's like almost 100 episodes of the TV show. So that... Shows a lot of weight to the character. This is so funny because you and I don't talk about Rebels that much. I know you've watched it, but you talk about the Clone Wars so much more. I know yeah. I know a couple of these characters by name, but that I know less about them than I even do, say, Ahsoka. Uh, and that's great. Like that that's that's awesome that it was so evocative for you. I'm just like really surprised that it I that, know you that it, it tops because this is the thing we talk about the least. And and yeah. and it's so clearly number one with a bullet. Considering all these other iconic uh star wars characters and their deaths like you're the guy who picked main titles as his favorite star wars piece of music you tend to be not not obvious but you tend to be a purist yeah and i am yeah um but i think that that way that's what's so great about this character is because it's it's one of 
it it might be the the best like f- like tight full character arc that you you get yeah uh in the sense that it's not spread out across multiple trilogies uh it's contained within this one show and so i watched it over a really quick period of time i mean rebels is great uh kanan is like for me a top 10 character in star wars he is awesome freddie prince jr is an incredible voice actor yeah um and there's some really fantastic arcs in that show but he, he just feels so incredibly star wars and rebels as a show feels it's just extremely star warsy and so uh the fact that it just completely caught me off guard it was an incredibly likable character but the fact that that completely changes the way that his entire story goes he go it, it, it makes him it, it elevates his heroism to a whole nother level. Whereas in some other cases, it's a beautiful end to their life or a perfect cap to their life. Whereas I feel like this is the highlight of Kanan's life. And he's an incredible character already, but this is the highlight. And it's also the end too, which is really cool. And he he kind of becomes one with the force a little bit um, to teach Ezra one more lesson, but just one more time. Okay, and he does speak to Ray. Well, we have uh, talked for way too long tonight, but let's just say a couple of um, of honorable mentions. I, I, I listed both Greedo and Tobias Beckett as kind of a couplet of each other. I did too. Simply because they're like, the kills are better than the deaths themselves, but because they are two sides of the Han's morality conversation in Star Wars, and so they're both good moments. Obviously, I'm a big Qui-Gon stan, so... His death matters. It's not. It doesn't matter that much overall. And the death itself is kind of kind of corny. But yeah, I was surprised it wasn't like six on your list or something. I thought about it for sure. It's in my honorable mentions. And then uh, one that I think deserves a mention is the death of Director Krennic when he stands on that bridge in Rogue One, just about to be like incinerated by the Death Star, which is his baby. Like it's it's a really interesting metaphor for his uh, unique involvement and and obsession with this organization that does obsession well it is but also like the the empire doesn't care about him the way he cares about it and this is the perfect embodiment of that yeah absolutely uh i think yeah krennic is great when he was on my honorable mention list my my four main honorable mentions were were obviously luke and han and the next two were droids and that'll sure. be ig11 and k2so k2so and is a big one the yeah. k2so was incredible that was the best death and rogue one in my opinion yeah. uh Jin and cassian though that was a cup that was the only actual i put chirrut and bays and Jin and cassian those were both uh good couplets as well yeah um you, you could easily do a top six deaths in rogue one <laughs> yeah no kidding it's a lot of them. god there's a lot of people that die in that yeah um and then uh ben solo's death is good uh and uh, so are mace windu and dooku's yeah, Duke oh, very is very important good. to Anakin. Dooku's is good. That's a good point. I mean, it's it's also a really undignified death, which is good for the story. Exactly. It's yeah. supposed to be undignified. It's yeah. supposed to be the most anti-Jedi thing a person could do. Yeah. Killing someone unarmed and decapitating them after you cut off their hands. And then I think deserving of an honorable mention, just from a filmmaking standpoint, is Leia. I mean, now we've said all the characters, but like it, they, they had their hands so tied. Yes. And they did actually find a pretty graceful and understandable way to kill her off. Totally. Yeah. I, I completely agree. And just a couple other ones that I didn't realize I had on here were also Shmi and Holdo. Those are two other good uh, oh, honorable Sh- mentions. Shmi is a good one. That is that is devastating. Yeah, it Shmi, it's very devastating. Also incredibly important to, to Anakin and handled a 
trillion times better than Padme's death. Uh, and also in connecting uh, the the logic of his rage as and, well. And Holdo. And you mentioned... And that, the Holdo's, yeah, is just badass. Badass. And you mentioned Phasma in one of your uh, least favorite deaths, and I, I concur. So a yeah. lot, of, lot of death in um, in The Last Jedi, as it turns out. There is yeah. a death to the majority of the Resistance. Yeah, yeah no kidding. <laughs> Minus, like, the people that can fit on the Falcon. Is that it? Do you want to go to news? Do you have any news to say? Uh, there is some news. Can you hear my rabbits chewing away? Uh, a little bit. I can hear some rattling back there. Okay. Um, so Lucasfilm Games is uh, a, a new banner that is going to be used. And so that will, um, LucasArts existed and that was folded and then the rights went to EA and now Lucasfilm Games will become a banner. So I believe EA is still doing games, but it's in terms of, it's it's a studio that will do video games and other things. So maybe that means some video games will be done in-house. I'm not quite sure, but that was just a very recent announcement. Okay. Um, Robert Downey Jr. is rumored to be talking with Lucasfilm. Oh, boy. Now, this was some people immediately went to Thrawn, and I was like, man, people are fucking dumb. But yeah, it's not him. Yeah, he's friends with Feige and Favreau. Yep. So, yeah, that makes sense. He's also out of Iron Man and like the MCU. So, here's an opportunity for him to be a draw on something. I wouldn't want him to be robert downey jr at all but a droid an alien or ideally a villain either of those a droid villain uh, an alien villain or a human villain but um i I definitely not uh not a not we don't need tony stark in a galaxy no and i don't think you have to worry about robert downey jr getting swept up in another uh multifaceted franchise he might do a movie he, yeah, and, I don't think I, and, I would and, not imagine get it would killed. be a big thing. He doesn't want to get consumed by another big thing. He wants to take a paycheck, have the experience. Uh, obviously, he's he's a good money maker, and they'll pay him for it. But like, no, he doesn't want to be involved in another twenty movies. No, God, no. But at the same time, that's not what I really any roles are in Star Wars. But I just point. mean comparatively, he's 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 not looking to get long term commitments. He wants jobs. No. Yeah. Yeah. No, my guess is it would be for the Feige. That, that, that would 100% be my guess. It yep. would be for the Feige project or the Watiti project. Sure. Um, and that would be, he would go to Favreau or Feige because he would know those guys. Um, Michael Waldron, uh, the writer and creator of the Loki series, is going to be writing the first uh, script of the Feige movie. Okay. And so, yeah. So they've already got the writer. Uh, so he's picking his marble people, the fact that um, Robert Downey Jr.'s rumor, and then you got the the, the creator and writer of Loki yeah. uh, writing it, is that's encouraging. So he's got clearly an idea. Uh, something's coming about. Cool. Uh, and it's likely 2027 mm-hmm. for him. Okay. Because I think... Um, Man, that's that's so far away. <laughs> yeah, Rogue Squadron's 2023. Yeah. Um, and then 2025 is Taika. And then, yeah, 2027, I guess, would be this one. Jesus. Uh, other rumored thing is that uh, I did see a rumor, could be total BS, that 2027 is when the um, Mandoverse uh, event will be culminating. Okay. That seems too far out. I would think yeah. that's going to be 2025. Yeah, it should be sooner. Yep. Yeah, I think that the things that they were talking about in the uh, Investor Day update were from now to 2025. So, and they mentioned that. So, I don't think that that's going to be a true one. But there is also uh, some rumor out there that uh, the Rebels sequel series 
uh, is in, in uh, this is one that has been a rumor before it's circling again that that is the ahsoka series is is indeed that yeah. and that it will uh bring in sabine and ezra again um to be kind of ahsoka's allies uh and potentially thrawn is the the primary enemy or uh an uh, another faction or of some sorts or an ally maybe. okay all right. Um, and then the big thing in Star Wars uh, news is uh, the High Republic. And so the High Republic has been released and the novels have come out and they're getting bananas good reviews. Great. Uh, and I am uh, about quarter or 20% into Light of the Jedi, which is the first main one. Uh, and it's it's excellent. Yeah, it's it's really, really great. Uh, this character, Loden Greatstorm, uh, he's a Twi'lek. Uh, he's... Uh, he's got kind of a, I think probably a French accent because that's generally what they give Twi'leks um, oh, okay. canonically. Yeah. Uh, and he, he's got an apprentice that uh, he was joking with because he uh, got him to eject out of a ship that was a little too close to the ground. And so he was, he was did not enough time to concentrate to break his fall with the force. And so he's like, you know, you were too close to the ground. When we get back to Coruscant, I'll throw you off the tallest building I can find. You'll have so much time to think you'll break your fall, no problem. And so it's just like, he's a really funny character. He's apparently like the best teacher on the Jedi Council other than Yoda. Uh, and uh, it's just, they've done a really good job of building these other characters. There's another character who uses a power that's kind of similar to Ray's be with me power and also similar to what Leia and Luke did when Luke was hanging on a, like the, the rod in Bespin. He's like, Leia. And he kind of calls it to her and they can kind of communicate. So she's like almost opens the, the communication ways to, to talk with Jedi from far distances. And the way that she does it, she's kind of rising up into a meditative position the way that Ray does in Rise of Skywalker. So it's probably something similar to that. And so it's really cool to see the way that they're kind of opening up the galaxy, the different uh, problems that could be occurring. There's a giant hyperspace disaster that is the, the inciting incident. Um, whereas you have hyperspace lanes with projectiles flying out of them with people in them crashing into planets so when it, when a, a giant ship carrying people is a gonna crash land into a system and destroy a bunch of planets that's like if star killer base shot a, a a ship at all those other planets to destroy them so it was like they're having double uh, carnage uh, and so it's it's kind of a it's cool to have giant stakes like that without necessarily having it be a Death Star or something uh, along those lines of a super weapon. So I'm very excited and I'm eager to uh, to read that book and the next couple ones and see uh, see how the the era shapes up. That's great. Okay, are we good? Yeah, good because I'm exhausted and I got to yeah, drag. So I, that was a, a long one. <laughs> some marathon. I got to drag my Christmas tree out to the end of the curb. Okay, uh, a couple of a couple of birthday wishes. Thursday, January 14th, happy birthday to Lawrence Kasdan, one of the greats ever. Oh, and uh, on Sunday, January 17th, happy birthday to Kelly Marie Tran and her birthday buddy, a little someone named James Earl Jones. So uh, another it's a good, a good incredible contributor birthday week uh, in Star Wars. Listen, we'd love to know uh, your top six lists uh, of your favorite deaths in Star Wars. Interpret that how you like. You can tweet us at Recorder66 or you can email Recorder66podcast at gmail.com. Please rate and review on your preferred podcast app so we know whether or not you're liking the show uh, and so other Star Wars fans can find uh, us and we can have a bigger community. Did you have something else you wanted to say? All good. All right. Well, until we're together again, may the force be with you. <laughs>